Good afternoon. There's three people awake tonight, so that's good. The rest of you are finishing up your nap from today, right? Well, I hope you had a good afternoon. Uh, we are in uh, our study of conquest. It's the uh, book of Joshua, and so the conquest of the nation of Israel. And so as we uh, continue tonight, we're in part six of conquest. And so uh, if you'll remember last week, Pastor Tony talked about uh, the Israelites as they finally have made it to the Jordan River. So they are at the promised land. Uh, we're 40 years later uh, from leaving Egypt, and they are at the Jordan River. They have the culmination of, of the promises of God have brought them to this point. Now, last week, if you'll remember in chapter 3, as Pastor Tony talked about, uh, in chapter 3, the Israelites were given instructions as to how they were to cross the Jordan River. And so the priests were to bring the Ark of the Covenant, and the uh, priests were to step into the Jordan River, and as they stepped into the Jordan River, uh, God calls the Jordan River to part, just like He calls the Red Sea to part, uh, as they were beginning their journey. Uh, and as uh, the waters were parting, the ground became dry, and the nation of Israel was to cross uh, across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Now, this is a promise that's been several hundred years in the making. And so here God is bringing them into the Promised Land of which He has uh, instructed for them to come to. And so chapter 4 picks up right where chapter 3 leaves off. So we're still, we're still at the river, okay? And so chapter 3 is talking about uh, how they got there and the instructions that God gives them. And then now we're going to go through the river and get to the other side and see what it is uh, that God is instructing them and how God is instructing them to do that. And so the Israelites here are in the midst of the Jordan River, and it is dry. Now it's and we'll talk about it in a second, but it's ironic how God uses that Jordan River experience, uh, which is very, very similar to how God used the Red Sea experience at the beginning. Now we are at the end, so to speak, of their journey, and they are now about to come into the Promised Land. So as we talk about that uh, tonight, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Uh, Father, we come to you. God, we just simply ask tonight that you help us to see the things that you'd have for us to see. God, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear tonight that you would illuminate our hearts. God, we thank you for the example of Joshua. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight that you will instruct us for your name and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we see that Israel is exiting the wilderness the same way in which they entered the wilderness. Now, if you've studied uh, the book of Joshua specifically, uh, or rather the exodus of Israel with Joshua and Exodus and how they've gotten to this point, they didn't go very far. I mean, if you look at them out, when they left Egypt, and then you look at them out to where they enter into the Jordan River, now they spent a long time out there, 40 years, but they didn't go very far. It was not that long of a journey. It certainly wasn't a 40-year journey, but God was teaching them, and God was instructing them. And so there's, of course, the, you know, anything that happens in your life that God does that's amazing, it's something that just carries on uh, intergenerationally. And so as, as the generations would... Uh, come, you know, we're only 40 years later, so there's these conversations that certainly took place, and so there was uh, memories of what God did with them in Egypt and how God brought them out of the Red Sea, but certainly now God is doing this specifically for the people that are present, that are entering into uh, the promised land. And so as I began to think about that, and you know, God is doing this very specific thing, and they 
certainly talked about all the miraculous things that God did when they left Egypt. I mean, if you're in D group, you just finished reading through Exodus and you, you read through how all, uh, you know, how God rescued the Israelites. God went to Moses and said, hey, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and rescue the Israelites. And so we know that the nation of Israel got to uh, Egypt because of Joseph. And, you know, we read that again through D group. And so now Moses goes to rescue them. You have heard the story, I'm sure. And so as Moses goes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh refuses to do that. And after multiple plagues up until the end in which the first, uh, all the firstborns uh, were killed, institution of the Passover, which is where the lamb was to be killed and the blood was to be uh, put over the doorpost for the rescue of those firstborns. And then the nation of Israel, then what? They were able to leave Egypt. And so, I mean, again, one of those things, you know, locusts filling the land or water turning to blood, any of those things would be something that we would talk about the rest of our life, right? I mean, if that happened today, every news channel, I mean, heck, you can't turn on a news channel without hearing for a week what the president tweeted last month versus, I mean, if, if everything, you know, if all the water turned to blood, if there were flies everywhere, if all the livestock, I mean, all those things, that, if that happened today, we would talk about that forever and forever and forever. And so, rightfully so, God rescues the uh, Israelites from the nation of Egypt, and He does it in the most miraculous way possible by splitting the Red Sea and bringing them across, and then the nation, uh, the leaders of Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of them were killed in the Red Sea. So, undoubtedly, they had that conversation many, many times. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what God did. So, I, I got to thinking about that. Got to thinking about just, you know, memories. You know, of course, we're talking about the memorial stones tonight. And so, as I was thinking about that, I just thought, well, what is my first memory as a child? What is my first memory as a child when I think about God? You know, what, what is it that first comes to my mind? You know, because there, there were some young people that are now about to enter the promised land. And there were conversations they had. We talked about this a few weeks ago with Moses and the conversations that Joshua had. And as God was grooming Joshua through uh, the instruction of Moses, God was, uh, you know, teaching him and instructing him. And so, you know, undoubtedly there are some uh, memories that Joshua has the first time that he remembers God doing something in his life. He remembers the things that Joshua said. And so, I just got to think, well, you know, what's my first memory of God? Well, as I thought about that, uh, in 1986, I was eight years old. This is my first memory of, of God. And I was at uh, R.H. Watkins Stadium in Laurel, Mississippi, uh, Laurel High School Stadium, and there was a crusade there. And uh, so I went to the crusade, and my grandmother took me. She lived around the corner. And so she took me to the crusade, and so we go in, and I can, to this day, I can see the stadium. It's still up. I I could take you to the spot where we were sitting. I, I remember it was, you know, on, on, the, uh, on the west end of the stadium, uh, you know, about three-quarters of the way up, and there was a, a revival. And for the first time ever in my life, I remember something happening inside of me that had never happened before. And I remember, I don't remember the message. I don't, I don't remember anything about the music. I don't remember any of that. But I distinctly remember the Spirit of God speaking to my heart. Now, I'm eight years old. I don't know what that means. You know, at this point, I'm just good at riding bicycles and jumping on trampolines, right? I mean, that's about all there is. And, uh, and so I remember the Spirit of God speaking to me, and I remember telling my grandmother, 
you know, I'm not sure what's going on, but something's happening with my heart. And, uh, and I, I remember getting teary-eyed, and uh, so I, was, I went down front, and, you know, I talked to one of the counselors down there, and my sister was there with me. And, and so that's my first memory of having this experience with the gospel, of, of being uh, exposed to who God is and being exposed to what's going on as far as the kingdom is concerned. So I want to challenge you to think about that. You know, what is it, what is your first memory of God? Maybe it's uh, Awana. We have a phenomenal children's program here, whether it's Kapow Children's Choir, Awana, you know, the different things that go on. We're taking, I went 49 kids to Centra Kid Children's Camp this, uh, this summer. Of course, you know, we've got countless youth, youth uh, students here. But there's a memory that is ingrained in your heart and in your mind. And, you know, a lot of times they come out in, in baptism videos. And we hear, you know, my first memory as a child was, you know, my grandmother or my mom taking me to church. And so here's the Israelites here. And, and so they, they've got this experience now that God is doing specifically for them. You see, there's events that take place in our life that we remember. And so the question, you know, number two is, well, what are the miraculous events that God has performed in your life that you commemorate. So not only do, what is it that you remember, what's the first thing, your memory of God as a child, but what is it in your life that God did that can only be explained by God that you celebrate, that you remember often, that you talk about? So, again, for me, uh, on February the 4th, so we fast forward from 1986 to 1998, and I've shared my testimony before, but February the 4th of 1998, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So February the 4th of 1998 is a day that I celebrate every single year. And so this is March, so of course February comes before March, and so last month was the 20th year that I've been a follower of Jesus. So every year I talk about, hey, February the 4th, 1998, February the 4th, this was the day that the Lord saved me. You know, when I read through the book of John, I know on Sunday mornings we're in John, and I, when I read through the book of John, in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist identified Jesus to John the disciple who wrote the book of John, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John the disciple is writing this book about 50 years or so after he experienced Christ. And he writes in John chapter 1, the hour that he saw Jesus. He writes that in John chapter 1. And so he's commemorating the things in which God did in his life. And so what are the miraculous events in your life to which you celebrate? You see, it, it may not be that there's children in your home. Maybe they're grown and gone, or maybe, uh, you know, maybe you know, you've got family members that are around you. Nonetheless, there's always other humans around you to which you can celebrate and commemorate and, and talk about the things in which God did. That's how the gospel continues to move and go, is how God uses and God works. And then people begin to say, hey, now wait a minute. I, that doesn't make any sense to me. How did that happen? Imagine the conversations that the Israelites get to talk about and have and think about of how God did such amazing things in their life. And this room and this church is nowhere short of those same stories. All the different things that God has done, all the different things that God has performed, all the miracles and all the ways that God has worked that can only be explained by God. And so that's a big moment in my life. Obviously, February the 4th, I'll talk about that date. I mention it to my kids. We, we discuss it, hey, next week, next month, 
It's going to be my 20th year to follow Jesus. You've heard me mention Virginia a lot. I talk about that. Why do I talk about that all the time? Because it was something that God did in my life that was huge, and I'm never going to forget that. And so when God does things in your life, you commemorate those things. You remember those things. It becomes a part of your spiritual ancestry or your spiritual DNA. And so whether it's a mission trip or whether it's an experience in which God does something in your life that can only be explained by Him, those are the moments that you celebrate. Those are the memories that you carry with you. Those are the things that that God uses in your life to draw other people to Himself. And so as the Israelites are about to cross over the Jordan River, and we think about that and, and the memorials of which that stands for, you say, well, you know, well, do I have a memorial? Is there something in my life that I celebrate spiritually? Well, we all celebrate corporately. We all celebrate memorials corporately. And what I mean by that is one of the, one of the memorials that we remember was the instruction of Jesus. What did Jesus say? He says, uh, this do in remembrance of me, right? The Lord's Supper. And so we often have a, a celebration, a commemoration of who the Lord Jesus is and what that means for us today as believers, as New Testament followers of Jesus. And so we do celebrate the memorials of who Jesus is corporately. Now, there may not be stones in your house that you've constructed to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but we always get together at least once a quarter here at this church and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We also celebrate or do uh, in remembrance of uh, here at our church corporately the uh, act of baptism, right? Today we did that. We had three people uh, who, you know, stood before the congregation and proclaimed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the symbolic act of baptism, they were able to make a video. Now, you know, if, you, if you've ever been baptized and you've sat up in the choir room before uh, baptistry service, uh, one of the things that you're going to hear about is you're going to hear uh, Pastor Tony talk about why we do the video, right? It's not for, you know, to show our video prowess of how amazing we can make videos. It's not to try to get you to spill all of your, you know, guts about everything that's happened. No, it's for you to just, in your own words, to talk about what God did in your life so that you can record that and you can put that on a disc. And so if you've ever been baptized here, you've gotten a picture and you've gotten that disc of what's happened, what God did in your life. And it's something that you can always go back to, to remember how God worked and what God did. Because, you know, as we get older, you know, our hair fades a little bit for some of y'all, and, uh, and our memories, that was a joke, by the way, and, uh, and our memories may fade a little bit, right? And so we may not remember all the specific details, but it's always good to recount all of the things in which God has done in our life, and so that is an amazing way uh, that our church is an expert at helping you to do that. So when we think about a memorial, well, a memorial is simply something to remind people of a person or event. And so you could call our CD or DVDs a memorial. This is what uh, will memorialize the things in which you, uh, God did in your life and how you can remember that. And so a memorial, again, is just something that we do to remember. So let's rewind. What is it in your life that you have as a part of, of who you are, your DNA, uh, you know, spiritually that God has done that you celebrate? What is it that God has done that only God could do that you commemorate, that you talk about, that you continue uh, to share of how God did something in your life? You see, retrieving the rocks in the midst of the Jordan River is an indication of how God works. You see, when we memorialize something, we want to remember how it happened. 
We want to talk about how it happened. We want to know the details of how it happened. And so here's the, the Israelites. And so let's jump into chapter 4 and let's begin to read here and we'll see what happens. So it says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, each from his own tribe, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from, every, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone from his shoulder. Now, if you back up to uh, chapter 3, he had already told them, I want you to get a man from each tribe. Here's why they did that. And he said, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, that this may be, verse uh, 6, a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them what the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Verse 8, And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and they took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priest bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the Ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho, which was a few miles in the distance from the Jordan River, not too far away. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of Israel, of all of Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So here is Israel crossing the Jordan, the instructions from God. And he told them, hey, I want you to get some rocks from the middle of the Jordan. So as I mentioned, this is an indication of how God works. You see, they could have easily taken rocks from the other side of the river. Now, this is a river, okay? And so there's rocks, uh, you know, surely at many different places along their journey. So they could have easily waited till they got to the other side but the memory that God was instilling in their mind and in their heart was from inside 
the Jordan River, right? It was from inside their situation, not from around it. And so God was not just saying, hey, I'm building a bridge over the Jordan River. He wasn't just saying, we're going to go around the Jordan River, nor was he saying, we're going to go across the Jordan River at the narrowest part. If you'll remember last week, Pastor Tony mentioned that um, they were, the Jordan River was uh, over a mile wide where they were crossing over. And so here they're trying to get across what seems impassable. And God does something miraculous, which makes it totally possible. And so God instructs them, these rocks, these stones that I want you to take, I want you to get them from the river bed. And God is reminding them that in the midst of their situation, just as the ark was the significance of that, that he was in the middle of the ark with them, that he was in the middle of the river with them. And so as we think about that, you see, God's work in our lives is not just the end of the story. You know, when people get saved and they give their testimony, you know, I always, you know, we have men's breakfast and you get to hear so many different testimonies. Michael George did a phenomenal job this past week. And so you hear uh, all these testimonies, but, you know, I get a little anxious when I hear people's testimonies. And here's why. Because, you know, your testimony is what you were before you met God, what God did, and who you are now, right? What God's doing now. And I always get really anxious on the beginning part because a lot of times we tend to spend a lot of time on the before. And, you know, what I want to stand up and say is, we don't care about that part. Tell us what God did. I want to hear the God part. And so here, you know, a lot of times we think, hey, well, all right, so they made it to the promised land. Hooray. Good job, God. Way to go. But no, that's not it. God was just beginning to work in in the midst of them. Even after wandering in the desert or in the wilderness for so many years, God's work in our lives is not the end. And so when God shows up to do something in our lives, it is the beginning of what He is doing, that He's continually working. And so these rocks, I think, are indicative of the fact that God is saying, hey, I am in the middle of your situation. It is not over. You see... For you and for I, it's not the beginning, it's not the end rather, it is just the beginning. And so they had spent 40 years in the wilderness and the culmination of their journey was at hand. They are at the promised land, okay? It's like going to Gallenberg, which is my favorite place on earth, and getting to exit 407 and you say, yes, we're here, that is it. And so they have made it to the promised land. But yet it is the beginning, all that God had done up until this point was to get them to that point, right? It was for a reason he did not intend for them to forget anything until this, uh, up until this point. And so he says, hey, I want you to grab some rocks out of the river. It's going to be significant. You see, we need to remember the things that God has done. We need to remember how God has worked. You know, the Bible has... Uh, 66 different books, there's over 1,100 chapters in the Word of God that help us to remember all that God has done. And so as I think it's important, uh, you know, obviously God could have simply said, hey, you know, I want you to just continue to orally pass down the traditions, but thankfully God wrote it down, or God had men to write it down, and we were able to remember the things in which God has done. You see, the word remember is actually used in the Bible 232 times. And so I think it's important what God is instructing us is, hey, that we need to remember these things that God is doing. You know, the Word of God says that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as God works in the past, God is fully capable. He is fully able to do today and tomorrow what He did yesterday because He's the same God. 
And so whatever it is that he chooses to do, he wants us to remember that, to know and to proclaim who he is and what he is capable of doing. And so the question that he instructed Joshua to ask is, what do these stones mean? What do these stones mean? You see, in your life, I guess the question would be, are there, are there stones in your life? Are there memorials to which you remember the things in which God has done? You see, when you're, the Bible says in Exodus, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Boy, don't you think they did. I mean, God spared us. You know, little Johnny, you're the firstborn, and because of what God did, you are alive today. You think there wouldn't be a worship service for that? I mean, I tell you what, think about that moment. And so he says, hey, I want you to, rem- to remind them of what the Passover means. I want you to instruct them. And so just a few weeks ago, as we were reading in D Group, the, all the festivals were uh, instituted. And so you just read how God used all those as a remembrance of who he is, the festival of booths and, and all the different things that were talked about and, and what he does. And so God says, hey, I want you to do these things so you'll remember what I have done for you. You see, the memory of what God has done in your life and in my life, it's not just the result, right? It's not just how it ended, but it's also the struggle to get to the result, right? I mean, if you think about what God does in our lives and and how God works, it's not just, you know, I'll just use Virginia, my example earlier. You know, it wasn't just, and God called us to Virginia. I mean, you know, if that was the story, well, you know, all right, that's exciting. God called you to Virginia, but I mean... You know, tell me a little bit more. Like, how did that work out? You know, what happened? Was it easy? You know, was it hard? How did it, what did God do? And so, you know, I've shared that story many times. And so as, as you hear how, you know, personally it was difficult, but spiritually it was the greatest thing that ever happened. And God used all that to grow us and to shape us. It's the same thing for you. Whatever it is that God did in your life, it's not just how it ended. But it's, hey, what was it like in the middle of it? How did it work? What did you, how did you respond? That's how we grow. You see, faith is not, the church is not for perfect people, right? If it was, none of us would be here. At least I wouldn't be here, right? But, and that's what needs to be communicated when we're out sharing the gospel. I, I've said this before, but, you know, a, t- a couple years ago, we were in church on Wednesday night, and, and Pastor Tony was teaching. He said, all right, tomorrow I want you to go out, and I want you to tell all of your coworkers all the terrible things that you've done. And I thought to myself, that is the worst advice you could ever give anybody. What, has he lost his mind? And then he said, you know, and he followed up and said, because you want, to, you want them to know that God can still love anybody, that God can rescue anybody, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are. You see, it's not my record that's going to get me into heaven, right? It's the record of Jesus Christ. And so as we talk about the things in which God has done, it's not just, all right, and I got my seminary degree. No, it's how did God work in that situation? And so we can share the struggles of how maybe we doubted or maybe we were unsure or we were, you know, we needed help. Of course, we all do. And so God uses that to say, and this is how I brought them across the Jordan River, right? You see, God didn't want them just to remember what had happened, but he also wanted them to remember who was with them when it happened. He wanted them to remember that he was with them. You see, that's the most important part. 
The Bible says in Joshua 4, 7, Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So remember last week, God told them, I want the ark a thousand yards ahead of you. And I don't want anybody near it, right? It's, it's a small box. The presence of God resides in the Ark of the Covenant. God has taken the Ark of the Covenant, or His presence is going before the nation of Israel. And when the Ark, when the priest's ankles got wet in the water of the Jordan River, the walls of the Jordan River came up, right? So God is beginning to, to work this out. He's showing them that He is with them. And the Ark was, again, indicative of the presence of God. And so as the presence of God stepped into the river before the nation of Israel, think of the order here, God was going before them to prepare the way for them. So God was with them every step of the way. And so as the ark was in the midst of the Jordan, it's simply showing that God was with them in the midst of their situation. So, you know, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, God is there. What does the Bible say at the end of the Great Commission? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Right? And so the command is given with the promise. So God says, hey, I want you to go and uh, tell all nations, uh, baptizing them, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always. He said before that, all power and authority has been given to me. Hey, I'm the greatest that there is. I am from this morning, John, chapter 18. I am, and this is what I want you to do, and I'll be with you. I mean, if that was the only verse in the Bible, it would be worth it, right? And so as we, we see that God said, hey, I am with you, and so the ark symbolized the fact that the presence of God went before them. You see, the presence of God went before them. And so God is showing the nation, nation of Israel over and over and over and over. Let me handle it. Let me handle it. They get in the wilderness and, oh, we're hungry. And God says, I can handle that. And they say, oh, we want meat. And God says, I can handle that. And they say, oh, we can't cross over the Jordan River. And God says, I can handle that. I mean, those are pretty big situations, right? Imagine, has anybody had a pair of shoes for 40 years in here? I mean, that's a long time. You know, they'd have to be resold a few times, right? And so here he's saying, look, I can handle it. I can handle it. And so the presence of God went before them. Now, this is a very important spiritual truth and a spiritual principle is that this must always be the case in any successful spiritual endeavor, that God goes before now, I used to be the opposite of that. I don't know about you, but here's confession for Matt. I used to try to, you know, just like this morning, you know, the, the negotiation, as, uh, you know, Pastor Tony talked about, I, I would say, okay, God, you've given me a little bit of information. I'll fill in the rest. Don't worry about it, right? If y'all ever do that on Sunday mornings when you get your handouts, you try to guess what the answers are. You know, you'll go through there and try to put in the answers. Only me. <laughs> And so it's the same way. You know, I used to do that. I'd say, okay, let's see. This could possibly be what God is doing, and so I'm just going to assume that that's it. Or this could possibly be what God is doing, and so I'm just going to go forward with this. And so, you know, that's a dangerous ground to walk on. And so with a, any successful spiritual endeavor, you have to wait for God. And you have to say, God, when you tell me what to do, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm not going to get out ahead of you. I'm not going to try to do it my own way or what I, how I think it should be. You see, we can't set out to do something and then ask God to bless it. Now, how many times does that happen? We say, God, I want to go do this. And then we get in the midst of the situation. We say, oh, by the way, God, could you come fix this and bless it? Because I kind of need you right now. 
You see, according to verse 8, they did as Joshua commanded, and as the Lord told Joshua, showing that obedience in the midst of our situation is what God desires. He just wants our obedience, which is the same thing that he wanted for the nation of Israel, right? And so he was asking for them just to follow him, to obey him, that he would handle the situation. And so again, we can't set out and say, okay, God, here's what I want to do. The Israelites didn't say, well, look, there's the promised land. Let's just hightail it there. Everybody follow me. And they didn't just dive in swimming. And then, then they brought the Ark of the Covenant. No, that's not how that happened. God says, you stay back there. I'm leading. You follow me. And they obeyed. You see, here's the correct order. The correct order is that God speaks. We obey. And God acts, right? Isn't that what just happened? God spoke. He told them what to do. The nation of Israel obeyed. And God did something amazing. And so we see here that the nation of Israel was simply following the instructions of what God had given them to do. Now, here is what more commonly happens in our world today, the incorrect order in which we act... And then we pray for God to obey, right? We try to, we switch it around. We say, okay, well, I'm going to go out here and do something because it's, it, you know, we say, oh, well, you know, I don't know what God wants me to do, which if, if, you, if you weren't here for Crossroads, you should go back and listen to it and you'll have all the instruction that you need of how to discover the will of God. But, you know, there is a way that God uh, institutes us knowing His will, His moral will, and so he, he gives us a way to know how to do that. And so we have all of the tools that we need. I was reading earlier this afternoon on some D-group stuff, and I thought about, uh, you know, that we have all that we need. And I thought about First Peter, you know, God's given us all that we need. It pertains to life and godliness. We've got all that we need. But what we want to do is we want to presuppose for God, and we want to put things ahead of Him. And God said, no, look, I'm going to speak to you. You obey, and God's going to act. That's how it works. So instead of trying to get out ahead of God, the nation of Israel stayed back. You see, in Joshua 4.18, when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, then the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. So they followed the instructions. They followed the instructions, right? They did what God instructed them to do. They get on the other side. The, listen, the water didn't start coming down when the last two people were left. That's not how it happened. Look, what, what does it say? It says, this, when the, ark, uh, the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place. So they were on dry ground. Everything that God does is in order. Everything that God does, remember this morning, it's intentional. And so God had a plan for them, and so it was at the very, it wasn't, you know, they didn't, well, we only lost 400, that was pretty good. No. Every single one of them made it to the other side because God instructed them of what to do and how to get there. You see, as they remember this, as they get to the other side, God was doing this specifically for them. You see, they were not reliving the past. God didn't get to the Jordan River and say, oh man, another river? No, He knew where He was leading them. 
And he gets them to the Jordan River, and he wasn't saying, well, you know, if I do this again, then maybe they'll remember. No, this is what I think. I don't think they were reliving the past or the crossing of the Red Sea, which, again, was their past. I think they were crossing the Jordan, and I think this was a miracle that God was doing specifically for them personally. You see, our faith, your faith, my faith, is a personal faith, right? I mentioned in 1986, I went to the crusade with my grandmother, but my grandmother's faith is not going to get me into heaven. And your grandmother's faith is not going to get you into heaven. It's what God does in your life, right? You See, this was a different generation. They were not going on the faith of their ancestors, but they were, they were going on their own faith. I mean, seriously, think about this. I mean, again, put yourself in their shoes. You get to the Red Sea or the Jordan River, you pick, and you stand there and they say, all right, we're going across. And you say, wait a minute, time out. I've never seen water ever do anything like this before. And how do I know it's going to stay up till I get the... That's what we are as Americans. We want to overanalyze, right? Especially as Baptists, right? We're going to bring a committee in, and we're going to say, all right, we got to talk about this. Now, how long has that been up? Is this covered under our liability insurance? I mean, what if somebody gets hurt? Is it too slick? And then OSHA's going to come in, they're going to put mats out, right? I mean, we, we want to go through all these things. We're not just going to say, okay, God, you just did something that is mind-blowing and nobody's ever seen. I'm just going to follow you. Isn't that what faith is, the substance things hope for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? So here's the nation of Israel going on their own faith, crossing the Jordan River. And so the crossing of the Jordan and its memorial has a couple of different functions. It was, number one, a continual reminder to the nation, the power of Yahweh. Because God can do anything. I mean, again, if you've been through the plagues, and you've made it through the wilderness, and you stand at the Jordan River, and God parts the sea for you to go across, can God not do anything? It's a constant reminder to them of the power of who God is. I mean, at this point, as I've said this before, but you'd think that they would be ready to charge hell with a water pistol, right? I mean, whatever it is that they want to, you know, God calls them to do, I'm in. And number two, it was a summons to all of the people to know Yahweh's power. They're about to go into the promised land, right? And there's going to be some, some things that they're going to encounter in the promised land that are going to be hard. And this is for God also to show the nation of Israel. Remember back from our, uh, our study uh, a couple, I don't know, a year or so ago uh, to where we talked about uh, how in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, and the nation split into 72 nations that didn't follow after God. And Genesis 12, God instituted the nation of Israel with Abraham. And so they're about to encounter some of those nations, right? And so here, they're going to go up against things that, you know, they're not real excited about. Remember why they delayed going into the promised land? Because of the giants, remember that? Ten of the 12 spies were chickens, and they said, hey, we can't do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, oh, I bet we can. God's with us. And so this is to show the nation of Israel that God is with them and to show the nations around that God has power. And you see, this is to remind the nation of Israel that they simply don't exist just for themselves. This is not just about them. Because as as I think about this, you know, Rod had mentioned this morning, uh, Pastor Rod mentioned this morning that we're on the other side of the cross. And so Palm Sunday means a lot more for us than it meant for them. But here we are on the other side of the cross. We know what that march into the promised land meant, right? We know the transgression of all the different, or the transpiring of all the different things that are happening. We know what all this leads to, right? Because we've got the end of the book. 
And we know that ultimately Jesus is going to come. And we know ultimately that what that means for Jesus uh, to come for us. We, we have, we've got the advantage of all of that. And so this is ultimately for us to be encouraged that God is faithful and God is able to do far and above what we could ever imagine, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And so God is not only working in the midst of the nation of Israel, but he is building a case to show us today in the 21st century the character and nature of who God is. And so our worship, our worship in dependence on the Spirit, then, as God is showing the world, it should be a testimony to the world of what God has done for us in Christ. Amen? And so the way that we worship, the things that we do, the way that we live our lives, that's the testimony of the power of God in our lives. I remember I was in seminary and there was a guy that prayed and he said, uh, God, today we pray that the majesty of your power would be on display. And I thought to myself, wow, that is amazing. I mean, think about that. Is that, is that our testimony? The ma- it is a display of the majesty and the power of God? That's the miraculous things that God does, the, the life that is completely turned around, the life that has been com- radically changed, how God rescues people and God works in different situations and how we have these only God moments. You see, the challenge is that in our memorials, whether it be the Lord's Supper or baptism or even our own testimonies, that the, they should invite discussion about Jesus and that they should ensure that we always look outward to a needy world around us. You see, the hero of the story is always Jesus. The hero of the story is it's always Jesus. So when we talk about our testimony, we talk about baptism, we talk about the Lord's Supper, it shouldn't be about what we did. The power comes from what God did. You see, God did this for the Israelites. They were the ones who physically crossed across the Jordan. But the bigger picture is that God did this for you and and for me. You see, to know who He is and what He is capable of doing. It's an instruction for us to know the power and the majesty of, of what God is, that the links that God will go, that, that He is far and above anything that happens uh, materially or immaterially, right? That God can control absolutely everything, that He's able, that He's capable of doing that. You see, that's the power of the testimony of who God is. Uh, Melanie has been uh, substitute teaching some here lately, and so, you know, it gives an opportunity to be around students, and so uh, she was... Uh, subbing at a school here a little while back, and uh, so the teacher had left some instructions for him, and so the instruction was for them to uh, write out a paragraph story, and so they were to write three to five sentences um, of whatever they wanted. Any story you'd like to write, you could write anything you want to write, and so uh, there's a little girl in the room, and she was paralyzed, and so uh, she was writing. She was in a wheelchair, and so she's writing her story out, and so everybody writes their story, and uh, so they finish, and she raised her hand. She says, hey, Miss Davis, uh, would you read my story out loud? And uh, so Melanie said, well, sure. And so she walks over and she gets the paper. And uh, so she, you know, reads the paper to the class. Now, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here, but it's three to five sentences. Any story you want. Whole class is captive audience. Miss Davis is reading the story. And she says, Jesus walked on water. A man walked on water with Jesus. And then she wrote, 
Jesus healed a paralyzed man. Now let that sink in for a second. Here's a little girl that, you know, is middle school, elementary school, paralyzed. Her life is totally different than ours. But yet she knows the power of who God is. The story began with Jesus doing something that nobody else can do. He can walk on water. And he lets other people walk on water, right? And then she brought it all the way home. Jesus can heal a paralyzed man. You see, what God does in our lives is evidence of the power of who God is. And that power is a testimony for the people that are around us. You see, the people needed a memorial. You see, they needed a memorial because they're just like you and me. They tend to forget. Right? Good things are going on. You know, God's working. And then all of a sudden there's a roadblock. The devil intersects. Something bad happens in our life. And all of a sudden we just throw everything in the wind. And we forget everything that happened up to that point. Because we're so enthralled in the moment. You see, we tend to forget the goodness of God. The mighty acts that God performs on our behalf. And so in our life, this was something that they needed. You see, they needed the memorial for a couple different reasons I'm going to mention here to you. Number one, they knew that the road ahead of them would be very hard and that they were going to be discouraged. At the rate in which the news says the world is going, same lies ahead for us, right? Gilgal was their base of operation, and they would return to Gilgal many different times. And each and every time, they would be reminded of what God had done. They would be reminded by those 12 stones, one each from the uh, tribes of Israel that would, were constructed there as a memorial or a remembrance of what God had done. And so I can imagine as they would come back in uh, you know, discouragement, or they would come back and they would see that, and they would remember, now wait a minute, I remember... I forgot about that. God did part the Jordan River. I'm going back. I'm going to go back in because he's with me. I forgot about that. So they needed, they needed the encouragement. Number two, the generations that would come after them would need this memorial. Joshua chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And then again in the latter part of the chapter, he says, And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? You shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. It's a memorial for the next generation. Why is it that we do the things that we do? Why is it that we are at the point in life that we're at? Well, it wasn't because of something we did. If it weren't for God, we wouldn't be here, right? And so this is what God did. This is how God worked. This is how we ended up here. That's why, I, you know, in our family, we constantly talk about the different things that brought us here and to this point. And, and we always talk about it. Because good, bad, or indifferent, this is where God has us. And God has done some amazing things in our life and our family to get us to where we are today. And, you know, I've said it many times before, but if this is the end, man, what a life, right? If it all ended today and the curtain was dropped, this has been great. 
And so that's the life that we should lead is that it's a a generational life that people that come after us will say, man, look what God did in their life. Look how God worked in their life. And then number three, the people of earth needed the memorial as a testimony to the existence and the nature of the one true God. Again, Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, the Unseen series a year or so ago. Scattered into the 72 different nations, they began to worship. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, they were given over to their, uh, their own worship, so to speak. They're, they're worshiping their own idols. Genesis chapter 12, God creates the nation of Israel to show that He is the one true God. You see, God does all this for a reason. Several years ago, I had a cousin that was born uh, mentally deficient, and uh, he, was, uh, he was in the birth canal too long without oxygen, and so his brain didn't uh, get oxygen in time, and so he didn't develop as he should have. And so he was a vegetable, and so, you know, they, uh, my aunt, and uh, they took very good care of him, and, you know, the doctor said he's not going to live very long, but he actually lived, uh, you know, quite a few years, and, and so he was... He was he was a big boy, and, you know, he grew physically, and, you know, he was a, not able to ever walk or talk or uh, do much of anything, but, you know, they did a really good job of taking care of him, and eventually, uh, you know, unfortunately, he passed away, and so uh, my family came to him and said, hey, we, we'd like for you to, to do the funeral. Well, you know, funerals are hard, period, but when it's a child and then it's a family member, well, then that just makes it even more difficult. So I thought to myself, you know, I, I mean, what do you say here? You know, how, how, God, what, I'm going to need some, I need you to just say everything for me, God. And so I, you know, I was praying, God, what is it that I can say? You know, what is it, how can I honor this moment? How can I use this for your glory? How can I honor the memory of Cameron? And so I prayed about it. And, and so there was, a, there was a, a parable that came to my mind. It was a story that came to my mind. And uh, we've been through it here just recently. And uh, John chapter 9. And so the disciples came to Jesus and there's this man that, you know, had an ailment from birth. And uh, they said, you know, Jesus, now, was it this man that sinned or was it his parents? Remember that story, John 9? And, uh, and so Jesus used it as an opportunity to teach. And so when I preached Cameron's funeral, I used that verse. In John chapter 9. Because you can look at that and you say, now what, what's going on here? Who can we blame for this? Right? But it was why. Why did that happen? Jesus said what? So that the power of God would be on display. And so I shared that, you know, Cameron was lacking oxygen in the birth canal. All of us were able to get what we needed. He didn't. And if for no other reason, it was to show the power of God on display. That the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, God uses every moment as a testimony for not only the existence of who He is, but for a display of the power in which He possesses. You see, our God that we serve, Yahweh God, He's different than every other God. You see, the stones were there to tell other nations around that God is different, that He really exists, that He is a living God. He's a God of real power who is imminent in the world today, written by Francis Schaeffer. You see, these nations, 
our lives, our testimonies, Revelation says that we overcome uh, the enemy uh, by the power, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So the testimony of the power of God in our life is how we show the world that, no, we just don't show up on Sunday in a building with six or 700 other people to worship someone who's not alive. No, we worship a God whose tomb is empty and that there are no bones to proclaim that, he, uh, that his bones are in the grave because they're not there and you're never going to find them, right? That we, we serve a risen Lord and his name is Jesus. And so our God is different. We don't have to go out on two-year missionary journeys to try to work our way, right? We don't have to be perfect. As, as Baptists, as, as believers in Jesus Christ and the Word, the Bible, we will allow you to ask questions. You don't understand something? You want to debate the Word of God? Let's talk about it. I spent 40 hours in seminary with Gary Habermas, who's the world-renowned expert on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, and so we want to talk about the proof of who Jesus is. Let's have that conversation because Jesus was born publicly. Jesus was crucified publicly. Jesus rose from the grave publicly. Jesus uh, uh, appeared to over 500 people publicly. I may be stealing some thunder from Easter here, but he appeared to 500 people publicly, all right? And listen, he ascended in Acts chapter 1-8 publicly. Everything that he did was public. Jesus wasn't hiding from people. Just like in the Garden of Gethsemane this morning, he said, hey, you looking for Jesus? That's me. Right? Everything that he did was for all of us to know the power and majesty of who God is. And our life should be a reflection of that. We should live a life that lives in the memorial of what God has done. Everything that we do ought to be in declaration of the majesty of God. And so Joshua says, hey, we can cross this river. You see, it's moments like this that shape us and change us into who it is that God desires for us to be. It's these God moments that radically transform, they alter the direction and the change of your life. And maybe even today, I hope and pray that in your life, that that shift is beginning to take place. The button has been pushed and you are beginning to turn, right? God God is in the moment He's in the, in the process of changing your direction, of shaping your heart, of sending you out, of, of using you in an area or situation, whatever it may be, that God is in the, in the process of making those small tweaks to squeeze out that last bit of, you know, disobedience in our life to say, okay, yes, God, I'll do it. And then we just propel forward to the places that God has for us to go. It's what shapes us. Listen, if you have a Red Sea moment, you have a Jordan River moment, you have a Virginia moment in your life, you'll never forget it, and it will forever change the the course of your life. So Joshua began the book as Moses' assistant, but now he's the leader, all right? They look at Joshua, the Bible says, Joshua 4 says, they look at Joshua now in awe, just like they looked at Moses. That's how God changes us. That's how God shapes us. That's how He molds us into who it is that He wants us to be. And so, were it not for Yahweh, the Israelites, well, they'd still be slaves in Egypt. They wanted to go back many times. They asked to go back. They complained about going back. God wanted to wipe them out, and Moses said, God, please, don't do it. Were it not for Yahweh, they would still be in Egypt. Were it not for Yahweh, they would have died in the wilderness. 
They would have starved. They would have gotten lost. They would have been eaten by animals. I mean, there's a lot of things that could have happened. But were it not for God, they wouldn't have made it. You see, were it not for Yahweh, they would have been stranded and homeless east of the Jordan. Imagine that they went for 40 years, they get to the Jordan River, and then they say, hmm, what do we do now? Does anybody have any ideas? How are we going to get across this river? I mean, the, the promised land is right there. Does anybody, does anybody know how to build a bridge? Does anybody have an airplane? Is there any way we can get on the other side? Were it not for God, they would have been stranded. They would have been homeless. You see, for you and for me today, were it not for Yahweh, we would still be slaves. We'd still be slaves to sin. Were it not for God, were it not for Yahweh, we would die just like the Israelites in the wilderness and our own sinfulness. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So were it not for God, were it not for Jesus, we would die in our own sin. You see, were it not for Yahweh, we would be stranded and we would be homeless. Just like the prodigal. But one of my favorite verses in Scripture, actually my favorite, some of my favorite two words in Scripture is in Ephesians that says, but God. You see, God gave us the memorial of the Word of God, Scripture, the gift of the local church. I mean, what, what would you do without the local church and the Word of our testimonies? The Bible says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. See, it was God who gave us those things. Who's the hero of your story? It's God. How did you get saved? God. Who saved you? God. You see, we must never forget what God has done. Remember, 232 times the word remember is used in Scripture. We must never forget what it is that God has done. Because the more that we recall the character of God, the more that we recall God's goodness, the more that we recall God's grace, the more that we will make God the focus of our thinking and our trusting. We'll constantly be reminded about who He is, about what He does, about how He works, about what He's doing. And in the process, other people will come to know God the Father because of that. Not because of anything that we do, there's no special words that we're going to say. There's nothing fancy that we're going to do. We're not going to come up with our own ideas. No, only God does that. The Bible says that there's none who seeks after God. It's because of the Spirit of God inside of you and inside of me that draws us closer to God the Father as we continue to follow Him. And that, that drawing and that work that God does in our life is how God works in our life. And in doing so, He manifests who He is so that other people would come to know Him through that. And so here we see the Israelites. They get to the Jordan River, an insurmountable task. They followed the instructions of God the Father, and they did exactly what He told them to do. They stayed a thousand yards back. The Ark of the Covenant went into the river. The walls came up. The Israelites crossed over. 
And God said, I want you to remember everything that I did. And so I want to encourage you as you go home tonight, think about all the things that God has done in your life. Think about your first memory as a child. Think about the the moments to where God changed the direction of who you are. And I want you to celebrate those moments. I want you to tell somebody about those moments. Maybe you make a phone call and say, you know, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I ever tell you the time of when God did this in my life. You know, it's been a long time since I thought about it, and I just, I just wanted to share it with somebody. Because that's how we talk about the goodness of God. That's how we remember the character and nature of God. And that's how we continue to learn about who Jesus is. It's through talking about it, through living it, and through sharing it. Amen? Well, let's pray tonight. God, thank you so much for Joshua and for the nation of Israel. But most of all, thank you for your son, Jesus.